Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate girl bomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girl Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school, you're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig with details. Hi, I'm Ashley Flowers, creator and host of the number one true crime podcast, Crime Junkie. Every Monday, me and my best friend Britt break down a new case, but not in the way you've heard before, and not the cases you've heard before. You'll hear stories on Crime Junkie that haven't been told anywhere else. I'll tell you what you can do to help victims and their families get justice. Join us for new episodes of Crime Junkie every Monday, already waiting for you by searching for Crime Junkie wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, and this is Womanica. This month, we're talking about rebels with a cause. Women who broke rules and took major risks to upend the status quo and create meaningful change. Today, we're talking about a woman who was detained for being of Japanese descent during World War II. She became the lead plaintiff in a Supreme Court case, which was uniquely successful in challenging the mass imprisonment of Japanese Americans. Let's talk about Mitsuya Endo. Mitsuya was born on May 10, 1920, in Sacramento, California. She was the second of four children, and she was considered Nisei, a term for American-born children of Japanese immigrants. After she graduated from Sacramento Senior High School, Mitsuya attended secretarial school, which led to a job at the California Department of Motor Vehicles. Nothing about her life was particularly extraordinary. That changed in December of 1941. That month, Japan launched a surprise attack on the Pearl Harbor Naval Base near Honolulu, Hawaii. After Pearl Harbor, anti-Japanese sentiment rose and suspicion of Japanese people was not only common among fellow Americans, but became a federal stance. Within a month, Mitsuya, along with other government employees of Japanese descent, were mailed a questionnaire. 
It asked whether these employees spoke Japanese, if they had visited Japan, and whether they belonged to any Japanese organizations. She answered the survey honestly, and that spring, she and other Japanese-American employees were fired from their positions. This kind of explicitly prejudiced practice would not be acceptable today. But at the time, Mitsuya was informed that her expulsion from the job was tied directly to her ancestry. Mitsuya was frustrated by the unjust circumstances of her firing. So she reached out to the Japanese-American Citizens League. With their assistance and the hiring of a lawyer named James Purcell, Mitsuya and her colleagues challenged their firing. Unfortunately, before any decision could be reached, President Franklin D. Roosevelt signed Executive Order 9066, which authorized the incarceration of 120,000 Japanese Americans. In the wake of this order, Mitsuya and her family were forced to leave their home. They were first taken to a temporary prison camp called the Sacramento Assembly Center, and then to Thule Lake Internment Camp. Internment is a word you'll often see when talking about these camps. But make no mistake, they were incarceration camps. The camps were surrounded by barbed wire fences and guarded barracks. In the course of his work, one day the lawyer James Purcell visited one of the camps where Japanese Americans were detained. He was appalled by the unlivable conditions. James's father worked at Folsom Prison, and what he witnessed at the camp was worse. So James started working on a case to challenge the legality of the prison camps, with the goal of shutting them down. Similar to the initial questionnaire Mitsuya had taken, James distributed a survey to detainees containing personal questions in search of the ideal plaintiff. In reviewing the responses, he noticed one in particular. Mitsuya had never traveled to Japan. She had attended a public school rather than a Buddhist school that many Nisei attended, and she was a Protestant. To add to her ideal American profile, her brother had served in the U.S. Army. James and the lawyers working on the case felt that Mitsuya represented the symbolic loyal American. Of course, it's alarming to think that anyone should have to prove they're American enough in order not to be imprisoned. But that's what James needed to highlight in order to make the case. At first, Mitsuya was hesitant to be the plaintiff, but she agreed to it with the notion that it would serve the greater good. In July of 1942, James filed a writ of habeas corpus, which argued that detaining people without trial or charges and solely on the basis of nationality was unconstitutional. The district court took a year to decide the case and eventually denied Mitsuya's freedom. The government offered her release with the condition that she did not return to the West Coast. Mitsuya denied the offer and remained detained. She risked her own safety to continue to fight the case. At that point, Mitsuya and her immediate relatives had been forcibly moved again to the Central Utah Relocation Center, also known as Topaz. At Topaz, food was limited and armed guards loomed overhead. At last, in October of 1944, the case made it to the Supreme Court. The court heard oral arguments in Mitsuya's case, and in December, they ruled unanimously in Mitsuya's favor. They described her as a conceitedly loyal citizen. Ultimately, the court opinion found that the government could not detain people who were deemed to be loyal. But the decision fell short of condemning or defining the internment policy as racial discrimination. 
In interesting timing, the day before the Supreme Court ruling, the Roosevelt administration announced that Japanese Americans could start leaving the camps in January 1945. Mitsuya finally left the camp in May of 1945. Unfortunately, release from the camps did not mean that Japanese Americans could simply return to society as normal. Prejudice and discrimination were still very widespread. Mitsuya had initially been intent on returning home to California, but she no longer felt safe or welcome on the West Coast. She moved to Chicago instead. There, she found a job, got married, and had three kids. She didn't talk much about her important contributions to history or her experiences in the camps. On April 14, 2006, Mitsuya died of cancer at the age of 85. Her case continues to be relevant and has been invoked in other Supreme Court cases related to the detention of individuals. All month, we're talking about rebels with a cause. For more information, find us on Facebook and Instagram at Womanica Podcast. Special thanks to Liz Kaplan, my favorite sister and co-creator. Talk to you tomorrow. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate girl bomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girl Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. Hi, I'm Ashley Flowers, creator and host of the number one true crime podcast, Crime Junkie. Every Monday, me and my best friend Britt break down a new case but not in the way you've heard before, and not the cases you've heard before. You'll hear stories on Crime Junkie that haven't been told anywhere else. I'll tell you what you can do to help victims and their families get justice. Join us for new episodes of Crime Junkie every Monday, already waiting for you by searching for Crime Junkie wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.